0: This is Navigating Pain. I'm Arun, your host. It's really wonderful to have you here. I used to have debilitating back, shoulder, sciatica, pain all over, you name it. And I came to this work because I've healed. However, I'm not a doctor. In each episode, I'm going to bring the experts, the people who know pain in and out, and throw in a few healing stories along the way of people just like you. This podcast is sponsored by Remedy, a structured group-based program for pain sufferers to get their life back. Start your Remedy journey today in the description below. My guest today is a world-renowned pain expert, Dr. Les Arya. He's been treating thousands of patients for the last 17 years and has dedicated his life to the research and treatment of persistent pain conditions that don't respond to usual medical treatment. Les is a goldmine of information. We're lucky to have him here to understand what is the science of pain reversal and hear him tell a few funny stories along the way. Les, thank you so much for joining us. We're happy to have you here. It's
1: great to be here, so thank you.
0: Let's jump right into this. I want to start with a simple question. You work with people every single day who are in pain, sometimes for years and years, and you're a pain psychologist. Most people wouldn't think of psychology and pain as two things that go hand in hand. Could you talk a little bit about how you work with people in clinic?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. That's kind of a, a large, large topic, but let's let's we kind of unpack that just a little bit. So one of the one of the common things is when you are referred to a pain psychologist, and. and it's and when we when we see you, we look at you not as the mind or as the body or the brain, We look at you as a complete person, you are it's, it's mind and body. So basically, it's just one whole person. So one of the things is we operate off this model that the mind does influence the body and the body does influence the mind. It's a two way three bi directional is what we call it. And when you see a, a pain psychologist, we actually equip you with specific evidence-based treatment. Basically, what that means is we show you different ways to cope. Now, here's why I'm gonna separate myself from others, if that's okay with you, just speak a little bit differently about how I do things differently. Sure, yeah. One of the, one of the things that I do differently is that is I don't tell my patients um, that they have to manage the pain. I basically tell my patients that they can get better. Now, about 18 years ago, when the moment I had my first success with a patient, I was blown away that even though they had such damage to the body, they had headaches, migraines, herniated discs, and IBF. It was like the worst. It was just overwhelming as a new, newly licensed pain psychologist. And the person got better. And so there needs to be a paradigm shift in the sense that pain can get better. Now, I will not say that everyone can get completely better in recovery, I would say a majority, and I'll even put a number to it, about 80% of traditional muscle skeletal pain conditions and a few peripheral kind of conditions, uh, such as complex regional pain syndrome, those things can get better. Uh, individuals can get better.
0: I'm going to pause you right there. You, you're saying something that's pretty groundbreaking, which is that people can get better. A- anyone listening to this would surely be a little a little skeptical. Even I'm skeptical hearing that I know many relatives and friends who have back pain and knee pain and migraines. Is there science behind this? Can you can you share a little bit about what you see in the research?
1: So just a quick reminder, I think it's always nice to know, is the old signs that you've been told, taught, and emphasized really could not explain things on why you were still hurting or why it was still existing, even after with medical treatment. And um, you know, so the old science really gets stuck on um, it cannot explain why the symptoms change, the locations, and it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that it's not looking at the um, the whole picture. And very often, old science thinks that if you fix something, cut something out, resect something, add something, remove something, it should get better. But we know that's not true.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What, what's coming to me is the case of phantom limb pain where like people don't actually have a limb there, but they feel a lot of pain in that limb anyways. Um, even after it's gone, it sounds like maybe there's some new science to explain some of this. Can you talk about it? Um, how does it help us kind of understand some of these conditions that don't get better over time?
1: So the new science is basically telling us a little bit differently. Um, what we believe now and have lots more studies, especially in the last five years, is we found out that the brain actually makes the decision on whether you are to have pain or not. And this is done through a very complex series of networks in the brain. And um, to make this long story short, we now know that a lot about pain based on brain science studies, your brain now has created a habit, much like you. the way you put your, your pants on or your socks on, whether you put it left first or right. This is the same way the brain has created it. It's created a new pathway. And so um, what we want you to know is this, is when, some, when a habit is created, we can actually reverse it. We call this learned neural pathway. It's kind of mouthful, so we just call it LNP, or if you don't like that, just call it a brain habit.
0: Huh. Interesting. So- The brain and body can create this habit of pain, and you're saying it gets stuck in a loop. If I'm someone who's in pain, listening to this, there are many questions that are coming up for me. Um, The first is, why hasn't my doctor told me about this?
1: I'm educating physicians. I have a lot of patients with physicians, and they're very surprised when they learn the old signs. What they Mm -hmm. learned in medical school was actually created by a fellow by the name of Descartes. Descartes was a French philosopher who said, if I see something then therefore I am. Uh, That's his famous line. And uh, and he basically wrote several papers and uh, many, many moons ago, we're talking like with 16th, 17th century. And that's where a lot of this comes from. And medical school has not changed, but it is starting to change now with the new science and a few places are starting to be impacted. So um, when your pain has been there, you've done everything medically, they poked and prodded, they scanned, they poked, they threw pills at you, and they're not bad people. They're really trying to do their best with their framework that they understand. And the sad part about this is they have not heard about this new science. And again, it'll take another 10 to 20 years, hopefully sooner, um, with our you know venue of trying to educate physicians.
0: The second question that's coming up for me is, are you, are you saying that it's in my head? You're using the word brain. Sometimes I've heard the word mind, and... My pain is real, and I talk to a lot of people who feel pretty invalidated. What do you say to them?
1: One of the leaders in this field is the fellow named by Dr. Abkhari Baniya. And here's what Abkhari found out, two very important factors. He never, never did any therapy. mind you, he's a neuroscientist. And he found out something interesting after 10 years. He could make a prediction of who will end up into chronic pain with an 80% accuracy. Just looking at MRIs, that's pretty impressive, I would say. And so what we found were two factors. During the subacute phase, again, less than three months, during the subacute phase and the shift during that cusp between the shift of subacute and chronic going greater than three months, something happened in the brain circuitry that he actually picked up on. He found out that the brain not only shifts, but these two factors emotional distress during the time or right before the injury is predictive and the second thing is basically avoidance. Let me repeat that again. He found out two very important factors that emerge. People reported that during that time of shifting is they had a lot of stress or they had something that they couldn't deal with. The emotional distress with their life and also something with the pain, right? Because they're struggling with it. Emotional distress And then the second factor, which he was quite surprised, is avoidance created a habit. And so my point here is this is what's that gonna do? We now have science that shows that past adverse experiences, childhood or adult, actually tweaks the nervous system. And that sets us up for greater sensitivity when we have an injury and we can't recover from it. So with that said, this is where we are with the latest signs. So when you feel what you feel, what I want you to recognize is the brain learns, and its number one job—it's in service of survival. And in the service of survival, its job is to protect you. So when you feel pain, it's not trying to be bad. It's not trying to be evil. There's nothing evil inside, or there's something wrong with you. It's just that the brain is so good, and its threat detection system—it will produce pain.
0: Hmm. Okay. Um... This is making a lot of sense to me. The next natural question that comes up is, how do I know if my pain is this brain-body habit that you're talking about, or there's something wrong and broken in my body? I may have been told by a doctor that something's wrong. I may have seen the MRI of something that's structurally anatomically off. How do you differentiate between the two when you see someone in clinic? Do you work with other people, to make that decision? Or what are some of the steps that you take?
1: I do my very best to tell my patients, do what your doctor tells you, because it's important for them to follow medical advice. Uh, to the point where I tell them uh, this, that do everything your doctor says, from the physical therapy, to if the doctor wants to try injections, or certain medications, or dietary changes, just listen to your doctor, because your doctor, I want people to understand that. That's, the, that's step one. Step two, Once you hit a wall and you find out that traditional medical treatments don't quite work, it is imperative at that point to kind of branch over to us, the mind-body. Besides your pain, your physical pain, meaning that the part, whether you have IBS, neck pain, back pain, fibromyalgia, complex regional pain syndrome, it doesn't quite matter what fancy condition you have. Beyond that fancy diagnosis and physical pain, what else in your life is hurting? And we want to kind of be able to take a look at that. That's one. That's a big clue. Step two, I want them to notice when they're sitting or not doing anything in particular, they can actually experience the physical pain go up just by a thought. And so I get them to pay attention to their stress level, to the emotions, to things that might activate them, and then to show them that it is more than that. For someone going like, I'm not sure about this. I basically have them close their eyes. Uh, let's take a, a back pain, for example, or even neck pain, just keep it simple. I have them imagine that doing an activity that they fearfully don't want to engage in. So for example, if someone has back pain, and so to test that to see if they have mind-body syndrome, or it's also called learned neural pathway and LNP. The one way to do that is I do that in my office. I basically ask them to close their eyes to so just say it's a back pain, a back pain patient. As my their eyes, imagine getting back, getting up uh, on a table and then jumping down on their feet, or just imagine them bending down uh, if that causes pain. So I basically have them share what's one activity they're afraid of, and then I have them just imagine it. And when that lights up the circuitry, that confirms to me more so than not, that is a mind-body syndrome, or what we also refer to as learned neural pathway. Those are two common ways assess that. A third way to do this, it's basically to fill out a self-assessment. Now at Remedy Pain, when you go to the website, remedypain.co or finallyremedy.com, when you go to the website, you can fill out a self-assessment, which basically says, let me kind of take a look and see into my life, what are the symptoms I've had and what's been going on in my life. And it tends to help us make that self-assessment is, do I have mind-body syndrome? a learned neural
0: pathway. It's synonymously used, that is. <laughs> Interesting. The last one is, is fascinating, that you can just light up the circuitry with imagining something. It's almost like the brain imagining something is, is very similar to it perceiving it actually happening in the world. Um, and the body can respond in a physical way to some of those inputs. Okay, so let's say I was just following along with you, and my body started to react to that experience. How do I reverse my brain body habit or learn neural pathways what is the what is the approach? Um, could you talk to kind of the step by step and and maybe share what do you recommend to people?
1: One of the things to getting into pain recovery or reversing this condition to some degree. And often it's in three levels. It completely goes away. It reduces 50% or sometimes it waxes and wanes, but it's no longer dominant because of a few things, because one, you've shifted your belief. Um, and this is really key because it's hard. When you feel a symptom still, we go back to our old habits that, oh, this is what I was told it could be. It's possible, but there might be other things going on. So um, to shift this, it requires you to really, really, really have this belief and you cannot quite intellectualize this. You actually have to do the exercises. You actually have to kind of be immersed in it. Uh, There's no tricking here. So um, the belief is very important. So how you relate to the pain or your difficult thoughts, and emotions are really crucial. Which leads me to the second thing is if you continue to be afraid and it's very normal to be afraid, you're like, oh my gosh, it's here. And as long as you catch yourself, that's good. However, when you over-identify with your thoughts, emotions, and even your physical pain, this is when it starts to perpetuate. And it's very difficult. That's why today we're gonna kind of get into a very specific intervention that needs to be used whether you're meditating, whether you're feeling the pain, or whether you're upset about something. But not being afraid of the pain is one of the first signs of success. You will feel what you feel, but you will no longer let it push you around in the sense where it just kind of makes you feel as if it's never going to get better. The third thing is this is we have enough science now that's showing that unexpressed emotions will basically be impressed in your body. This goes with gut pain. This goes with leg pain, knee pain, any kind of pain, fibromyalgia, headaches, migraines. Why? Because when we don't express the truth, our nervous system feels like we have to kind of protect ourselves. So any unexpressed emotions can actually weaken your nervous system, which then weakens your immune system, which then you feel it in your body parts. And so the other thing to this is, believe it or not, um, when I first did this 18 years ago, I was told to tell people to get into fun things and do fun things, but we really didn't have a whole lot of science. Now Now we have science. We know that when you actually play and laugh at least once a day, you know, kind of like Joy's son was being goofy and funny. And it was nice to just laugh and go like, yep. And then Joy's like, yep, here's the stalker of the day. And we were just teasing him and Joy. And that, when you play and laugh like that and not take life so seriously more days than not, you actually shift your nervous system. You actually send messages of safety. We have good signs now. It lowers your cortisol level, increases your immune system and your body actually feels more relaxed. So the message here is this, is if you're not playing, doing fun hobbies, connecting with fun and safe people, if you're not um, watching funny videos or thinking of funny memories, um, that will be more difficult to get better. So these four things are really crucial in having part of your lifestyle. Your belief when the pain shows up higher than usual. You go like, yep, you're trying to protect me, I get that. Um, have I expressed my emotions? Is that why? Maybe. And so that might be something to look at again. uh, And on on a side note, if you've been still struggling with your emotions, it is important that you see a therapist and process that. And it's also important to see what's kind of going on in your life for that matter.
0: Do you think that this is a substitute for medical treatment? When people come to you from their doctors, how do you work with their care team? What do you tell them? to do on the medical side of things? Um, are there any, is there any advice around their medications or uh, their physical therapy exercises? How should people treat this alongside anything that they've been told to do so far?
1: Once you hit a wall and you find out that traditional medical treatments don't quite work, it is imperative at that point to kind of branch over to us, the mind-body. Now, do I want it this way? Is this how I, I'd like it to go? No. I think it is far more important when someone has been struggling for three months before the brain starts changing its real estate from the way it processes pain and the way it shifts it into the emotional brain. I wish we could do this before three months, but most providers, most of my patients, and this is gonna sound crazy, but it takes 52 months before I actually see a patient who's willing or the provider is willing to send them over to me. 52 months, that's a couple of years, right? It's almost five years there. And so people suffer that long until they discover the mind-body approach or they discover a part of the mind-body approach, but don't practice it. So coming back full circle to your question and when when should people pursue this? From the moment they believe that they need something additional. Mind-body can be done after you've hit a wall with the traditional medical treatments and, or, and, or. Or you can do it in conjunction. So it's not where I have to do one or the other. Very often, many of my patients are getting injections or they still want surgery. And again, I'm not in the position to tell them, don't do that, don't do that. And so I educate them to the best of my ability. I try to get them to be Sherlock Holmes, they investigate how the emotions and thoughts play a strong role take a look at themselves. And here's a key question for everyone, is beyond your body hurting, is there another part of your life that's hurting? Is there another part? And to be genuine and honest about that, you will discover that. So using mind-body approaches can help uh, create a positive outcome to medical treatments. So when someone's trying to get injections, the mind-body can teach them to calm the nervous system down, teach them tools to relate differently to cope. And so uh, we we should not think about it as one or the other. It depends on the person who's wanting the help. If they're willing to to buy into the modern pain science, great. Then the mind-body stuff really works well. But I do want to encourage people to listen to the doctors and to let them know when they're working with a pain psychologist or someone that's working a program that's mind-body related.
0: I love the straightforward and simple advice that you give to to everyone listening. Do you have any last words of, of wisdom or, or something that you want to share uh, before we wrap up, Les?
1: Um, and I'll just let like you to make a super short story. Here's this. is most people do not know who Dr. Simmelweis is. Dr. Simmelweis. Dr. Simmelweis was an Austrian um, physician, obstetrician um, physician. And, um, and it was back in the 18th century. And basically he kept on noticing that people, uh, women um, who were getting cesarean were dying at a higher rate. And he happened to say that, you know what? I think it's because of something is being transmitted from one person to the other. So Dr. Simmelweis was basically told that he was a quack. He was just a new um, physician. And the most senior physicians basically said, there's nothing we're doctors, we don't need to wash our hands or instruments. Well, I think you know where I might be going with this is we then discovered the thing called the germ theory. Now, prior to the germ theory coming out, they actually beat Dr. Simmelweis and threw him, threw him into an asylum. Several decades later, the germ theory came out and then they said, oops, guess what? He was right, it's called germs. We need to wash our hands and sterilize the equipment. So how's that related to skepticism? People still believe as if the world is flat, as if there's no germs because we cannot see it, feel it, measure it. Pain is not a result, chronic pain that is, is not a result of structure damage, nerve damage or tissue damage. The body does heal. What I'm trying to get across to the listener is this, that when you believe a particular paradigm that nope this is what it is i'm I, it's very hard to kind of try to convince people so i try to get people to do their become their own sherlock holmes and so what i've discovered is that is people kind of see me as a junior after junior to ice. they kind of disagree with me including the physicians and some of my colleagues they go like yep no i, I don't think people can get better it's because they haven't had people get better fully and completely.
0: That is a great last word to end this on. Dr. Arya, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, the science, and stories of people that you've worked with, uh, with everybody else. I know that it's going to inspire hope. I know it's going to inspire healing. And I hope that we can start to shift things uh, sooner rather than later.
1: Yes, and thank you for having me and welcoming these thoughts